Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you're new or visiting, my name is Bryce Johnson. I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, and it is a joy to open up God's Word with you. If you have a copy of the Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're new or visiting, uh, you might have squirmed a little bit at the reading of that text. You're like, where, where are we going today? What's, what's going on? Um, but it's important to know that we've been walking through this letter of 1 Corinthians uh, for the last several months now. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And he's writing to uh, teach and correct on a variety of issues. Now, this morning, we get to a portion of Scripture uh, where we've been actually in the last few weeks, where Paul is teaching and correcting the church on the use of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts as in gifts that God gives us uh, through his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit-given gifts, um, which the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, to walk out in ways for the blessing of one another and the church. Now, in the verses we read this morning, Paul lists out nine gifts. And last week, Chad uh, taught on utterances of wisdom, utterances of knowledge, uh, and faith. And we'll get to prophecy in tongues here in a few weeks because in chapter 14, uh, Paul is going to spend quite a bit of time addressing those gifts. But today, we're going to look at the gifts of healings, miracles, and distinguishing spirits. Now, the gifts are sometimes controversial or maybe they've caused harm uh, because the obvious supernatural nature of them uh, caused many of us to be cautious or skeptical about them, uh, right? Like, is this even real? Does this, does this happen? Or, or, or we know that this doesn't happen, right? And maybe that's you this morning. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here with us. For many of us, I think we, they're gifts that we long to see and, and experience because who doesn't want to see a miracle of God, right? Who doesn't want to see God working in power, but I think for most of us, we know that they exist. We know that they're real. We've just never experienced them ourselves. We've just never walked in them ourselves. But the Word of God encourages us to earnestly desire them, to want them. And so we should. But, but if we don't understand what God is doing in these gifts and through these gifts, we won't actually know how to properly desire them. Right? We want to know what it's for. Uh, a while back, uh, my wife and I received a package in the mail, a package from Amazon, um, and this was in there, right? So this. Now, neither she or I had ordered this. Um, we, we looked at each other, and we're like, where's the rest of it, right? Like, like what is this? We, we didn't know what it was. Um, it didn't come with any tags. It didn't come with any, like, an instruction manual. Um, and, you know, part of me just wondered if my daughter accidentally ordered this off the app. It looks a little bit like a kid's toy, right, where it's, where it's the handle missing to the rest of it. But it's kind of sharp up here, so it could be used as a weapon. Maybe it's a gardening tool. And it sat around uh, on our counter for a few days. Um, we're just waiting for the rest of it. Like, when is that going to show up? And then in a couple days, uh, or a couple days later, my mother-in-law asked us if we had received our pineapple quarter. And that's what this is. This, if you don't know is a pineapple core, which sounds like it was news to most of you in this room. To the 9 a.m., a lot of them knew, but this is a pineapple core. Um, apparently, she had visited us, and she was shocked and appalled that we used a normal kitchen knife to peel uh, a pineapple and cut the pieces off. She's like, who does that? Like, so she went on Amazon and bought us this. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, have you seen our TV? Have you seen, you know, there, there's so many things that we could use new of uh, sweet mother-in-law. 
please, please, please send us things. But to be honest, my wife and I looked at each other, we rolled our eyes a little bit, and we were like, this is a little over the top, right? I mean, who needs another kitchen appliance, right? Especially one that only has one function. The only thing this giant thing does is core a pineapple, right? Who needs that? And then we used it. We bought a pineapple, and here's how you, you use it if you don't have one. Um, you take a pineapple, you cut off the top, and then you stick this in the pineapple, and you twist, and you twist, and you twist, and you twist, twist, to get to the end, and then it just comes out. And you have perfectly round, sweet, delicious, golden circles of pineapple. And the rest you just, you just toss. And we used it, and we were like, wow, this is actually game-changing, right? Like, peeling a pineapple or cutting off the rind of a pineapple no longer takes 15 minutes. I can do this in like two minutes. Um, and once we understood the purpose of this tool, we could appreciate it, right? And we could long for it. We could actually still like, hey, this is actually pretty valuable. It seems kind of dumb, but it's actually really valuable. Now, that's a silly example, I know. But that's a bit of what we're going to do this morning, right? We're going to look and to see what is God's purposes in these spiritual gifts, right? And we're going to see that God wants us to desire the gifts, especially of healing and miracles and discernment by understanding his purposes in them. God wants us to desire the gifts of healing, miracles, and discernment by us understanding his purposes in them. And so that's where we're headed. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit, which was talked about last week, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, I, I don't need to define this too specifically. The first gift is the gift of healings. But healing is the strengthening and the restoration of what's broken, to make uh, whole or healthy or beautiful again. It certainly involves making physically whole, but it can also mean emotionally whole, relationally whole. And what's important to notice, uh, to note here, is that in the original language, Paul says gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. It's, they're both in the plural. Uh, only one of it comes across in our English translations. But they're both in the plural. In other words, he's saying, he's not saying that someone has the gift of healing, as if you can have the gift of healing, and, and that's yours, and that heals everything. But that there are different gifts for different healings. Sometimes for different parts of the body, for different issues. Uh, and so one of the pushbacks we sometimes get is, well, if the gift of healing really existed, couldn't you just walk into Mercy Hospital and just boom, 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 just heal everyone, just clear out the whole ward, clear out the whole hospital? But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And we know that because the Bible even hints at that. In fact, God uses Paul to heal in some incredibly unique ways. He heals a variety of things. In fact, it gets so crazy in Acts, we hear that sometimes there were, some, there were, there were handkerchiefs that touched Paul and then went and healed other people, right? God healed in some incredible ways, and yet Paul couldn't always heal, or he couldn't heal on command. In Philippians 2, Paul couldn't heal his friend Epaphroditus when he was on his deathbed. In 2 Timothy 4, he couldn't heal, heal Trophimus. And we get to Jesus, we see examples of Jesus healing all through the gospel accounts. He gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame walk. He heals the leper. He heals Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And he even raised the dead in Lazarus and the widow's daughter in Luke 7. And here's my proposal. He still heals today. He still heals today. We've seen God heal people in our church 
We've seen people in the hospital, on the brink of death, and as we've prayed, God has brought healing and restoration. See, healing reveals the heart of God. It reveals his heart to show compassion and mercy to us and his desire to make things new, to make new what was broken, to make it whole. Healing brings him glory. It shows that God actually is the one who has power over our bodies and our minds and our hearts. It can happen instantaneously. It can happen over time or stages. Regardless, God does heal. Which leads us to our second gift listed, which is miracles. He says, to another gifts of healing, verse 9, by the one spirit, and then verse 10, to another the workings of miracles. Now, I looked it up in the dictionary. The dictionary defines miracles as something that can't be explained scientifically. And so, so because it can't be explained scientifically, we ascribe it to divine agency. And I think that actually reveals or shows not only how we view miracles, but how we view God. We view God as apart from creation, as apart from nature, as, as, okay, maybe he created everything and he set the world into motion and then he just kind of sat back on his haunches and he just watches and, and every now and then, he'll reach in, and he'll do some miracle stuff, and then go back, right? He'll reach in, do some miracle stuff, and then go back. But that's actually not how the Bible describes God. The Bible describes God as intimately and intricately involved in the world. Through the word of Christ, the universe is upheld. The miracles show God's power over the cosmos, over nature, and over matter, and over people, and over our bodies, and over everything. They show that actually God is in control. And similar to healings here, the phrase here is plural, workings of miracles. Literally, it's workings of power. And so if you've read the Bible uh, at all, you see there are miracles all throughout Scripture. We see that God splits the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to cross over as they flee Egypt in Exodus. We see the sun and the moon miraculously stand still as Israel fights its enemies in Joshua 10. We see that Elijah prays for rain to stop, and then it stops raining for three and a half years, and then he prays again, and God sends rain again in 1 Kings. And we see it, of course, in the New Testament, right? We see Jesus' ministry is marked by miracles. His very first miracle is he shows up at a wedding, they run out of wine, and Jesus says, hey, bring out some jugs of water. And he turns water into wine. Jesus calms the storm and the raging seas. He walks on water in Matthew 14. He feeds 5,000 and 4,000 with just tiny lunches. We get to Acts and we see so many miracles. In fact, a few times the apostles are miraculously freed from prison. And time and time again, God works in ways that can't be explained by human logic or reason, but inevitably bring him glory and reveal his power. And maybe you're wondering... Yeah, okay, that's great. That happened in the Bible. They believed in those things back then. Does that happen today? I mean, we understand how the world works. We understand science, right? Do, do we still see miracles today? I was reminded um, earlier this week, this weekend, this very weekend, many of us, the, a year ago this weekend, many of us were weeping and mourning with a family in our church, and we were praying fervently to God. They, they, they were pregnant. And, um, and it was a child of, that we've been praying for a long time, and then it seemed like she had miscarried. Um, and it seemed inevitable that the baby would pass. In fact, all the medical advice she received was, hey, this is hopeless. Hey, there's no way coming out of this. And against medical orders, 
she came home, and, and this community, we prayed for this family. We prayed and begged and asked God for his mercy to touch this family, to save this baby's life, to do what only God could do. And God did. God saved and preserved this baby's life. This family is part of our church body. It's a miracle. The, the, uh, the, the physician who dealt with this family says, in 30 years, I've seen this maybe twice. I don't know how your baby made it through this. It's a miracle. And this baby, baby Simon, is about to turn eight months in just a couple of weeks. God worked miraculously. Friends, God still moves in ways that defy our understanding of the world. And if we don't see them, Hey, listen, if we don't see them, maybe, just maybe, it's because we're not asking him to do incredible things. In light of healings and miracles, the Holy Spirit gives us another gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says, To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, this is the gift to discern what is of the Holy Spirit and what's false. Ephesians 6 reminds us that our, our, our battle is not against people, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces, spiritual realities, and those spiritual forces are actively trying to deceive and lead us away from Christ. Sometimes they come in the way of power that seeks to imitate God's power. And so in Exodus, when Moses comes up to Pharaoh and he says, hey, let my people go, Moses does some signs and wonders in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's sorcerers are like, we can do that too. And, and they do that. Jesus tells us, hey, there are going to be people who do signs and wonders, who even cast out demons that don't know me, and I don't know them. One scholar, D.A. Carson, says it this way. He says, spectacular displays often attest the power of the spirit world. They do not in themselves attest to the power of the Holy Spirit. So just because we see a display of power, it might not be the Holy Spirit. And so distinguishing between spirits means the gift to discern, hey, what is of the spirit? Where is the spirit working and where is the spirit not working? In college, I was at a, I was at a camp with some, and there were a bunch of us, and, and many of us were um, in this circle, and, and we were praying, and we were worshiping, and there was a guy on, out on uh, the fringe. He was just kind of sitting there, and then all of a sudden he starts laughing, um, which can be weird, but could also be like, hey, what's the joke? Let, let, let us in. Uh, but he kept laughing. And then he couldn't stop laughing. We're like, what's going on? He says, I don't know. I just can't stop laughing. Um, and then he kept laughing for three hours. In fact, he had to be carried back to his room. He, he couldn't walk. And, and at the time, we were trying to discern, like, oh, maybe this, is, maybe this is the joy of the Lord, right? Maybe that's what it is. We're trying, trying to figure out, explain what is going on. And I remember just having this deep sense of, like, hey, something's not right here. Something's not right. Something's not clear. This does not seem to be elevating Jesus here. Discerning between spirits involves seeing where is the spirit working and where is he not, but can also involve discerning what's true and what's false. Discerning what actually elevates Christ, those who proclaim Christ and false prophets. For sometimes it can mean uh, discerning between good theology that glorifies Jesus and heresy that glorifies something that's not Jesus. First John 4 one says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So God grants his spirit and grants his gift to discern, hey, what's actually glorifying him and what's not? 
Now, all this leads us to the question, well, what are these gifts pointing to? What's the purpose of them, right? Verse 7 says, hey, they're for the common good. They're, they're for the church assembly. Chapter 14 and, and uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that they're for the building up, the edification of the church. But sometimes we can view spiritual gifts as sort of a grab bag of random abilities, right? A random assortment of gifts that God uh, threw in that God thought, hey, this would be cool for my people to have. Like, like what, what are the point, point, what's the point of these things? We can view them as sort of like um, superheroes or like X-Men, right? The X-Men world, there's so many superheroes, right? It's really cool if your superhero gift is that you have really fast healing and you're really strong, like Wolverine. That's pretty cool. Unfortunate if your superhero gift is that you can talk to squirrels, <laughs> which is a real superhero power in the Marvel Universe, Squirrel Girl. Someone thought, man, <laughs> what other superhero powers can we come up with? I know. Talk to squirrels, have a really big tail. We can see how gifts can be for the common good, right? We can see how these spiritual gifts can be for the common good, but it feels a bit random. And it can feel like the Holy Spirit is just a force that empowers us, but he's not a force that empowers us. He's a person. And he's more than just a haphazard force or, or he's more than just good vibes. He's God and he's been part of the story ever since Genesis 1. A few weeks ago, Jeff Nine gave us a great theology of the Holy Spirit. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But if we're going to understand the gifts of healings and miracles and discerning spirits, we have to understand the arc of what the Bible is communicating. One of the great promises and hopes of the Old Testament is that God would dwell in his people. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, man and woman lived in the very presence of God, but that was lost by Genesis 3 because of sin, because sin doesn't just sever our relationship with God, though it does. It distorts us. It distorts creation. We were created for a certain purpose, and sin causes us to be subhuman, not human. Sin causes us to be subhuman, torn from the purposes and end to which God made us and God made the world. And so God, from the very uh, earliest pages, God promises to not only restore his relationship with us, but also to undo what was done when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And all through the Bible, we see the promise that one day, one day God would not just dwell among his people, God would not just dwell in the midst of us like he did in Eden, but that he would reside within us. He would live in us, that he would change us and make us truly human again, that the Holy Spirit would fill his people and empower them to live as redeemed creation that God himself would renew and restore creation that was broken, that we would live and work like we were meant to be, that the presence of God would return because of the person and work of Jesus in defeating sin and shame and death. And then, so when Jesus shows up on the scene, you had God dwelling among us, living in our midst. He did so many signs and wonders. The gospels are full of them. He, he heals, and he does miracles, and he calls out lies from truth. But it's always tied to his central message. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. See, Jesus' teaching and signs weren't separate, but the signs and the miracles affirmed what Jesus was preaching, that the kingdom of God was breaking into the world. His miracles were a demonstration that God's kingdom was coming into the world. So Jesus healing the sick and confronting demons, commanding the storms were all signs, listen, that the new creation was coming, that God was putting right and restoring the world. This, this renewal that the world had been waiting for, 
Pastor Tim Keller in New York says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but listen, a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. The world we all want, the world to which all our best stories point to, the world we imagine when we lie in our beds and sleep, the world in which this would be different, the world in which all would be well, where our bodies don't fight against us, where injustice doesn't exist, where death doesn't seem to be constantly chasing us. That world exists and is the world that Jesus is bringing with him when he comes back. And the Holy Spirit is a sign and a promise that that future is coming. And so every healing and every miracle is the kingdom of God breaking into this world and it's foretaste of the world that's coming. So the kingdom of God has come, but hasn't fully come yet. Has come and is fully coming. Really smart people, theologians call this the already but not yet. Meaning that we get to taste and experience the kingdom in some real ways right now. We get to taste some of the real beautiful aspects of the kingdom right now. We get to experience the reality of this new community that Jesus has created called the church. Right? A community that consists of people from across class and race and culture and even time that are brought together because of the personal work of Jesus. We get to experience the forgiveness of our sins that have been removed because of the cross. And we get to live lives without shame or condemnation. We get to experience the goodness of God in Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits, am I right? Like, just the goodness of God, just pieces, just taste of heaven on our tongue. We get to experience God's power over the natural order as we experience healings and miracles in our midst. But the kingdom has not fully come yet. The kingdom has not fully come yet. And so our communities, as, as wonderful as they are, will not be perfect and will often fall short and be marked with brokenness and conflict because the kingdom has not fully come yet. And though you and I are forgiven and redeemed and filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll still sin and hurt each other. And the world will continue to experience pain and poverty and death until Jesus fully brings the kingdom. See, we live as those who've been brought into the kingdom and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returns in power, and he will, the creation will be restored, and the new creation, everything will be put right. And so listen, when we pray for workings of miracles and gifts and healings, we're praying along with the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, think of the most amazing miracle that you could think of. The, the thing that you're like, man, if this would happen, it would, it would blow my mind. If this would happen, the world would be changed. The promise of new creation is so much more than that. It's that and more. It's things that our minds can't even comprehend. And as God grants the gifts in our midst, we get to experience a glimpse of what God will one day fully do. Gordon Fee says, we're, we are already but not yet. 
And the only way we can live is by the power of the Spirit. The reason for the gifts in the assembly, meaning the church, is to build us up as we live out the life of the future in the present age. The Spirit for Paul was an experienced end-time reality who served both as evidence that the future is already at hand and as the guarantee of its final consummation. And so all this leads us to the final question. What do we do when we earnestly pray for the gifts, and we earnestly desire the gifts, and we don't experience the gifts? More specifically, what do we do when we don't experience the gifts of healing and miracles that we've earnestly been praying for and earnestly been desiring? Right? It's especially true when it comes to healing and miracles. I remember in high school, one of my close friends, her mom uh, got diagnosed with cancer. It was devastating. This woman loved Jesus and served actively in the church. And so their church community just rallied around her to pray and beg and ask that God would heal her. And not just that church community, but, but churches from around gathered around her and loved this woman. And so I fasted and prayed for years. I fasted once a week and prayed and fully believed that God would and could heal her. I said, God, I know you can do this. I believe you want to do this. And prayed and asked, God, would you do it? God, would you show your mighty power? Would you show your kingdom? Would you show what you can do by healing this woman? And then she passed away. She passed away. And I remember just all these conflicting feelings. It was one of those first times that my, that my faith and understanding of God was really shook in some unique ways. Like, did, did I not pray enough? Did, did I not say the right things? Did I, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you this morning wondering, man, did we just not pray enough? Did we not find the right person with the right gift? Like, is, is that what, what I needed, to find the right person with the right spiritual gift? Or to heal this, the, the specific cancer? Is the spirit not active? Right? If miracles and healings build the church... And if they do display the kingdom of God, then why is this not happening in my situation? Couldn't God get so much glory by miraculously working here? I imagine most of us in this room have prayed and asked God to move in an incredible way. To display his grace and power in your life or the situation of someone you love. And I know that there are people in this room that have prayed with tears and with faith for deliverance. We've prayed for years, maybe decades, praying that God would heal the chronic pain that has eaten away at your drive to do anything. Pleading for God to break the chains of addiction. Begging that he would heal your body in unique ways. Begging the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous work of regeneration in the life of someone you love. A wayward child or a family member. You've been, you've been praying deeply for your marriage and nothing seems to be changing. Some of you have been walking in despair because of your mental health. And your days and nights are filled with dark and intrusive thoughts. And you've prayed and others have prayed and yet it seems like God is saying no. Maybe you've been praying and others have been praying and nothing has changed and so you've lost hope. You wonder, I mean, what's the point? I guess the answer for God to this is not right now. 
You stop coming forward because you feel embarrassed because you're praying for the same thing week in and week out or you think that the people who are praying for you are tired of praying for the same thing. Friends, as one of your pastors, please hear me. We see you and we feel you and we mourn with you and we mourn and we beg and pray and ask that God would move in your life. We do. And, and listen, the Bible does give some reasons for why God sometimes does not heal. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that if you've been praying and asking for God to move and he doesn't or he hasn't, it's because of one of these reasons. I'm not saying that. But sometimes, listen, the Bible does give some reasons for why God sometimes doesn't heal. Sometimes healing doesn't occur because of the absence of faith. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that the reason your prayers for healing aren't being answered is because of a lack of faith on your end or someone else's or because of there's doubt. But the Bible does indicate that sometimes the reason healing doesn't happen is because of faith. The Bible also indicates that sometimes indwelling sin could be what's withholding healing. James 5.15 says that sometimes healing is contingent on the confession and repentance of sin. James 4.2 says that sometimes healing does, doesn't occur because we're not asking for it. Friends, have you stopped asking for God to heal and move in your life? And many times, maybe most of the times, it's none of these things. Sometimes we pray and pray and fast and ask God for a miracle and nothing changes. We're in the already, but not the yet. And so the reason we're not healed is because we aren't yet in the new creation when everything will be healed. And so what do we do while we wait? What do we do with the fact that God seems to heal some people, but he hasn't healed me next, and so I guess I just have to wait? What do we do with our disappointment that God seems to be saying, wait, or no? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians again a few years later, and he shared an anecdote about a thorn he was given in the flesh. Now, we don't exactly know what that means, right? But it seems to indicate that he had some sort of physical ailment that was really bothering him. And so he asked God, hey, God, would you take this away from me? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8. This is Paul writing. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Jeff Nine in between services told me, hey, a lot of scholars think that this actually means three long seasons, not just, hey, I prayed for this three times, but three extended seasons. I prayed for this. I begged, I pleaded with the Lord that, he, that this would leave me. Verse 9, but he, being God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, in the midst of Paul's suffering, as he pleaded for God's healing and for deliverance, what he heard was not no. He heard God say, my grace is sufficient for you. Friends, that's what God's promise is for you and I this morning. His grace is sufficient for you today. It's not, sorry, you don't get my healing today. Or maybe you should have prayed harder. It's not, hey, it's not that bad, just suck it up. If you've been praying and pleading that God would heal you to make you whole, to work a miracle in your life or the life of someone that you love, God's response is that he has grace that meets you in your pain. The grace that meets you in your weakness. And that grace is enough because the power of Christ rests on you in that weakness. 
Friends, you get Jesus. You get more of Jesus. And so if you feel like you can't go on any longer, if you wonder whether or not hope is for fools, God says he has more than enough grace to sustain and empower you so that you can live with hope when all seems hopeless. Friends, he has not left you or abandoned you. He's actually given more of himself to you. He goes on to say, hey, when I'm weak, then he is strong. He says, I'm sorry, he says, when I'm weak, I am strong. Not because his circumstances have changed, but because of the spirit of God and power of Christ that is in him. Friends, can I remind you this morning that if you're a Christian, listen, if you're a Christian this morning, can I remind you that your faith and your hope is not ultimately in your circumstances? It's not. Our faith and our hope is not in miracles or signs or healings. We long for them. We want them. We desire for them. We will continually pray and ask for them. But that's not where our hope lies. Our hope and our faith are in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus who lived a perfect life and yet for our sake suffered incredible physical and emotional and spiritual pain. Our faith is in Jesus who defeated sin and the power of shame by emerging victorious over even death so that sin and brokenness and shame would not be ours to bear. He bore it on our behalf and nailed it to the cross. Our hope is in Jesus who right now sits at the right hand of the Father and sent his spirit to empower us to live resurrection life even now while we wait for Jesus to return and one day make all things new. See, the the gift of... The gifts of healings and miracles and distinguishing spirits builds the church, and they're a sign of the kingdom. And these signs, every time we see it, these signs point to the new creation that Jesus is bringing. We're, we're in the already, but still in the not yet of the kingdom. And so while healings and miracles give us a longing for the new creation, listen, while they give us a longing for the new creation, so should our sufferings and longings give us a longing for the coming kingdom. Just as miracles and healings point us to the kingdom, so do our sufferings and longings because they remind us, hey, one day everything will be made right. Where we'll know perfectly, where there's no need for healing, where brokenness is a distant memory. We'll have whole bodies and miracles aren't a term because the world functions as it ought to function. Hey, can, can I remind you that everyone who's healed in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, everyone who's healed, even by Jesus, one day got sick again or died. Maybe again, even Lazarus, who was raised by Jesus from the dead, died. But one day Lazarus and all the believers in the New Testament and throughout all of history and you and I who are in Christ will be given indestructible bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, can I I offer that the promise for healing, listen, promise for healing is always yes. The promise for healing is always yes. Christians, don't you know that if you're in Christ, God's promise for healing is always yes. Now or in the future. Now or in the future. If it's now, praise God, you get to experience a glimpse of his power right here and now. And if it's in the future, praise God, because you still get God. And his grace is enough. And your hope is in the future that Jesus is bringing in the new creation. And so listen, if he heals you today or he heals you on the last day, 
The promise is the same. His grace is sufficient for you. Friends, would you cling to him? I'm going to land the plane here. Our confidence in what God will do, right? Our confidence in what he will do one day shouldn't diminish our confidence in what he can do right now. So we don't want to be like, we don't want to be like those people who super hedge every prayer, right? And the ones that are like, God, if, if, would you heal, but only if you want to, like, like, please work, but, but you know, you don't have to, like, it's okay if you don't, like, I, I know you're in control. We can pray with boldness and confidence and boldly ask God for his gifts of his spirit, for gifts of healings and workings of miracles and distinguishing the spirits and all the other gifts. And we pray in eager anticipation that he will work, that he will show up in power in our midst. And we pray in confidence that his grace is enough, that Christ is sufficient. So at the end of the service here in a few moments, we'll have a time of ministry. We'll have men and women up here who want to pray with you and for you. I want to invite you to come boldly forward. Come boldly forward. Whether this is your first time or your hundredth time. Whether you have a hernia or you have a headache. Whether, whether it's cancer or a common cold. Whether, whether it's anxiety that's eating away at you or addiction or relational trauma. Would you come forward? Let's pray that God would work his power in miraculous ways and that we'd be able to discern where and how he's working and trust that he will meet us with his grace. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your incredible grace and mercy and I thank you that you see it fit to fill us, to fill your people with your spirit. Not just to fill us with your spirit, but to give us gifts that remind us of what you're doing and what you will do.